so when they say that I'm Marie's copywriter, that also gets on my nerves because as I said before, I don't like being called anybody's anything. Laura Belgray is the founder of TalkingShrimp.com and co-founder of The Copy Cure with online coaching's queen, Marie Forleo. But she will tell you herself, she's not Marie Forleo's copywriter. She's not anybody's anything. And diving into her story, we found a winding road of seemingly random opportunities, but they all come down to one thing and one thing only, being 100% uncompromised with what she wants. I hated having assignments hanging over my head and the pressure to come up with a great idea. And then I started saying no to private clients because I wanted to be known for my voice. I wanted to be writing in my voice for me um, and be known for who I was, not who I served. Our conversation was so rich, we had to cut it down for the podcast. If you would like to listen to the full unedited interview, go to theglobalphenomenon.com slash uncut and watch the whole thing. In the uncut version, she tells us her stories of working at a bar in New York City while pursuing writing. She tells me about her worst client story and she opens up about tackling political subjects on her Twitter feed when most entrepreneurs have stayed quiet. All of this and more at theglobalphenomenon.com slash uncut. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts while working on your latest sales page copy, I hope you'll take a little break and go over to the review section and leave us a five-star review and say something nice. It really helps support the show. And thanks. Here's my conversation with millionaire copywriter and someone who is always unapologetically herself, Laura Belgray. This is The Global Phenomenon with Ina Coveney, the podcast where the self-made teach you to stop waiting to be discovered and prepare to be found. Hello, everybody. Today, I have the absolute pleasure of interviewing the amazing Laura Belgray. Laura, hi, how are you? Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. The pleasure is mine. I'm thrilled to be here. So why don't we start with who you are, who you serve, what do you do for them? Okay, so I have a company called Talking Shrimp. I am known for copywriting, but my broader, more umbrella mission is to help entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, small businesses, people ending in preneur, there's every version of that, uh, find the words and the courage to make their business a 100% expression of their personality so that they are as close as humanly possible to getting paid to be themselves me that's the holy grail of work is getting paid to be you so and can you tell me just a tiny bit because i'm going to be asking you a lot more about that what are some ways that entrepreneurs can work with you right now uh they can work with me through well currently it's not open but who knows when this will air so through shrimp club um they should absolutely be on my list that one way they can um connect with me is be on my list get my emails I have to brag that my emails have been often called a masterclass in email writing and storytelling. So get on my list, um, be there. And I have mini courses on my site that they can buy at any time. And that's the 60 minute makeover copywriting mini course. And I have an about page builder. And then different times of year, there are different courses. The copy cure comes up um, at least once it, it'll be open at least once in, I believe, spring of 2021. 
And then there is Inbox Hero, which um, Inbox Hero and Launch Hero, which I'll also open up once or twice in 2021. So that's yeah. how they can work with me. And I have to tell you, I, I read your emails and they are, uh, it's like reading a blog of you, but you, you find that there are ways that there are times that I'm reading your emails. I'm like, how did she come up with this? I mean, it's <laughs> super witty. It's super fun to read. And it's like, you're living that, that life that you want everybody else to have. It's like, I want to get paid just for being me. And I feel like you're, you're actually doing it. And I want to go way back to mm -hmm. see where this knack for words came from. And I did a little digging. Uh -huh. um, so I want to go back to your mom. So oh. your mom, Alice Belgray, she yeah. was a chairwoman of the Children's Book Committee at the Bank Street College of Education. Wow. And it publishes a list of the year's best children's books. So I'm mm -hmm. here like, well, she had the literary pedigree already. So what what was that like growing up in that household? <laughs> you really did do your homework. I'm so impressed. Nobody has ever mentioned that. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was kind of a literary household. My mom switched to children's book publishing from, she was originally a, a musicologist. She had her PhD in music and she was gonna maybe teach music and then did some, you know, pivoting, soul searching around a, in her late forties and found out that she wanted to work in publishing. Um, she did those diagnostic tests, you know, career uh, finding courses, etc. And got into that. And this is not about literature and writing, but just about as a role model, she started uh, in publishing as an assistant, um, possibly as an intern in her late 40s, like from square one at the at the age where most people were, you know, either corporate executives or not or or <laughs> becoming grandmothers. Um, so uh, that always left an impression on me, that kind of late pivot reinvention. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, she's not a writer uh, per se, but she is a great writer. So she would read my she would read my school papers and help me with them. And I remember her saying, this is a little overwritten. And I think so it was from her that I learned to use words a little bit more sparingly. And I do mm -hmm. run long. And my father would also have taken credit for my writing. Um, he always talked about how he was a freelance writer and a freelance writer for magazines in the 60s and had uh, clippings from a magazine called Rogue Magazine, which was about, you know, he had, I think he had an article that he was showing me and my husband called Beware the Man in the Gray Flannel Suit. And it was some kind of scandalous like corporate expose. And so anyway, there, there was, uh, I would say, a regard for words in the family, but it wasn't like, oh, it's my legacy to become a writer. So how did that come about? Where did you first start to feel like, okay, I have a knack for this. Maybe this is a thing. Like, how did that mm -hmm. go? Well, I, I did always know that I was good at writing and I was told so in school and I got great grades on my papers, et cetera, and um, knew that I would like to do something with writing. But when I got out of college, I just had no idea what to do with it because 
to me a writer was either somebody in like who lived in a garret and um, maybe wore a beret and wrote on a typewriter all day long, like sadly, you know, crying into a glass of whiskey and pulling um, terrible drafts out of the typewriter and crumpling them in a w full wastebasket. Or it was somebody working in you know, maybe advertising, wearing big shoulder pads and pantyhose and working for the man. Um, and that you're painting a very 1980s <laughs> picture, yes. right? Yes. Now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, and that, well, there was a movie um, called Nothing in Common with Tom Hanks and Jackie Gleason, where Tom Hanks worked in advertising and they threw pencil. I remember them brainstorming and throwing pencils at the drop ceiling, um, like darts, and thinking, oh, well, maybe advertising would be fun. But it just, but it also sounded horrible. Um, and then there was journalism, like, you know, writing on a, writing notes on a journalist notepad and interviewing people. And I had no, I wanted nothing to do with that. That did not appeal to me at all. So I didn't know what I was going to do with mm -hmm. my writing. And then um, I discovered, I, I guess, uh, around 24, um, I discovered a thing called promos. My friend Adam, who I'd met working at a magazine, um, I had lunch with him and he said that his, his new job was writing promos for VH1. I said, what are promos? And he said, well, I watch a lot of TV and I write the little things in between the commercials. And I was like, oh my God, that's a job. I have to have that job. So he hooked me up with an interview, you know, with the head of VH1 promos and she um, assigned me a promo. And uh, that's where I started. That's where I started writing promos. And basically I knew that I was meant to write little things. I mm -hmm. loved writing short little things and did that for years and years and years. And then um, fell into the online world really by accident much later in 2009, 2010, because I was friends with one Marie Forleo, who yeah. I'd met in hip hop class at Crunch. Right. And so she led me, I had, I didn't know where she was leading me, but she led me into the online world. And that eventually became my entire business. I segued out of promos and started working for private clients in the online world. And then eventually made myself my only client. Um, and that's where we end up getting paid to be me. Yeah. And I actually want to get more of a feel for what it was like going through this journey because you just synthesized like 15 years for me <laughs> into like 45 yeah. seconds. Mm -hmm. And and yes, I actually am going to put the link to an interview that you did with James Wetmore and I'll put it in the description because you go through the entire story of meeting Marie and what that was like. Uh -huh. And um, and I want everybody to hear all of that. And there's a lot that I want to talk to you. So it's going to be a great compliment to this episode. Perfect. So um, I want to know, First of all, you went to Wesleyan University. What yes. did you go to Wesleyan for? College. <laughs> for college. <laughs> yeah, just to go to college. It was where I wanted to go. Um, for a BA and you know, I majored in English. Okay. I chose that because I didn't I wanted to read novels and not textbooks. I'm yeah. terrible. I'm a terrible reader, especially with textbooks. And um, they were the bane of my existence in high school. And I actually got out of history class by taking a combination of chemistry, which I wasn't good at, and ancient Greek, 
mm -hmm. language, um, all to get out of history because I couldn't handle the reading for history. So I took English and you know, decided to major in English so that I could read things like, you know, 20th century literature and and Russian literature and um, and that was what I wanted to do and it was great. So when you graduated with an English degree, mm -hmm. what happened between the time that you graduated and the time that your friend said, hey, how about VH Pros? <laughs> well, uh, for a while, I, I lived at home. Mm -hmm. I looked for a bartending job. Um, when I started looking for a bartending job, my mom was like, is is that what you want to do with your life? I'm like, no, it's just a I just want a job for now. I just pictured myself like meeting lots of people and spinning bottles like Tom Cruise uh, in cocktail and maybe being a student of life, you know, leaning on the counter and listening to people's stories. And somehow that would all work out into somehow a writing career. Um, so I bartend, I got terrible bartending jobs and I was terrible at it. And, um, and where, where was this? Was this in New York? In New York City. Yeah, mm -hmm. I lived on the Upper West Side in my childhood bedroom. And then you get this job writing some promos. How did you, how did the shift go from bartending and writing some okay. promos to full time writing for TV? Yeah, well, I skipped right. I skipped a step between the promos, between the bartending and the promos. Um, when I was done with bartending, because I'd been fired again and sleeping late every day and like just going out till 4 a.m. and working out and eating cereal all day long, a friend from high school called me, um, woke me at like 11 a.m. and was like, I'm at a job right now where we need more people. I'm working for this author, Lisa Birnbach, who um, she had bragged about being friends with before. Mm -hmm. Lisa Birnbach had written a preppy handbook, which was a huge phenomenon in the 80s. And so I knew who she was and she was writing her um, second edition college book, her guide to colleges. So my friend was like, we need fact checkers. Lisa needs more fact checkers. Can you come in and work? Um, and I was like, I guess it sounds kind of cool when she's like now today, like, oh, no, I had my whole day planned out. Um, I was still gonna still had more sleeping to do and all that. But I decided to pull it together and go in. And I worked for Lisa uh, fact checking for probably about six weeks. And then she said, I remember my father coming in to take me to lunch one day at this job. It was my first real job. Um, and he was very proud. And I remember Lisa saying to him, uh, Laura's great. We just, we've got to find a way to tap that talent. And I remember thinking, oh, please tap my talent. That's all <laughs> I ever wanted. And I was like, I think I've found my mentor. She wants to tap my talent. And when this job ended, she didn't have much to do with me. Um, she tried. She was like, maybe you can help me organize my office that didn't work so well but she was going to spy magazine which was this cool downtown new york city publication um that made fun of people like donald trump and she was going as a deputy editor and she said maybe i can get you an internship mm -hmm. so she did she got me an internship um and that lasted about, uh, I think that lasted six months. I did last six months. I was a terrible intern, did not have any ideas. We, we were supposed to, you know, we had tasks that we were supposed to do each day, concrete ones like um, Xerox all the gossip pages from every daily newspaper, staple them together, pass them around to the editors. That I could do. We were also, also supposed to be pitching ideas, pitching articles, stories. 
and I had no ideas for that. And the managing editor took me to lunch and after a few weeks, maybe a month or so and said, you know, I just want to let you know, you can take initiative here. And I was like, oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> I just in, don't in have case, any. In case it hadn't occurred to you. Yes. <laughs> like in case you didn't think it was allowed, let me just tell you. You have permission to do something with yourself. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I like I, I never really um, I wouldn't say I was in my glory uh, mm -hmm. in that internship, but I got hired by the advertising side at the end of it. Uh, we were all on one floor and we were all friends. That doesn't happen a lot in magazines. There's separation of church and state, but at Spy, everybody was on one floor and all friends. And so the ad side needed somebody um, and it was a paid job. And mm -hmm. so I got hired over there and um, among other things, I got to write my first advertorial. And so an advertorial for people who don't know is that page in the magazine that looks like it's part of the magazine, but actually is an advertisement. Mm -hmm. um, it's editorial, it's advertising that looks like editorial. So I wrote one for doers, Scotch, and it was a quiz um, called do you party like your Uncle Marty? And it was this quiz to determine whether you are an old geezer. Mm -hmm. And if so, then you needed doers to spice up your life. And there was the rest of the cocktail recipe and some other fun facts and whatever. And people loved that. Um, they thought I did an amazing job with it. And I guess that was my first uh, adventure in writing copy. Right. And so I started doing more stuff like that and um, accumulated enough of a portfolio to get hired. When Spy folded, I got hired at New York Magazine as their in-house copywriter. Yeah. And so I was there for a while. And that's when I segued into promos. Yeah. So th this has been like an illustrious career <laughs> like, without even trying. You're like, I you know, I know who I am and like, that's not me. This is me. And it seems like people want your talent so much as you were, they were like plucking you out of obscurity. <laughs> saying like, can you please come and help us? And you're like, okay, I guess. And then you end up with jobs with AVH1 and HBO and mm -hmm. working on shows. And what was, what was that like for you? It seems so surreal without, without having a plan that you would, that you would get this successful with writing. It was incredibly lucky. I felt super lucky to get this. Well, to, first of all, to find out about promos. Mm -hmm. And second, to find out about them at a time I didn't know it yet. But that was kind of a golden age of promos. And it was a time when the words mattered, when things were done with a lot of voiceover. So there was a lot to write. Um, it has become something that's just about cutting, really. Um, there are some brilliant promos still being done, but most of it is is cutting clips together to music with a couple of, with a few words on the screen in graphics. There's not, you don't hear that voiceover anymore. So I was there at the perfect time for my style of writing. And um, I ended up at the place that I loved the most for promos, which was Nick at Night. That mm -hmm. was the, like I had seen their promos even before I knew what promos were. I'd seen them on the air. I watched Nick at Night and I thought, ah, I wonder who writes that stuff. That's really funny. I would love to. I would love to do that. So I ended up there, and it was kind of, um, you know, a dreams come true moment, mm -hmm. and and a long one. And so I, yeah, I was very lucky because I don't. Um, I would like to say that I don't believe in magical thinking, mm -hmm. 
However, I didn't really learn any lessons um, that told me other, that it doesn't work because I was hoping something would come to me and it did. It just did. And yeah. so what was that? Did you, did you like your job when you were writing, you know, all these promos and for these, you know, TV, like let's, let's go fast forward to the time around the time that you lose your job writing the promos. You've already started working a little bit with Marie. Mm -hmm. um, I want to know, like, what was, what was life like? What did you think of your life then? Well, I was in a creative rut. I had been doing promos for a long time and a lot of us in promos had always had kind of made a pact. It wasn't a real pact, but we would say to each other, like, shoot me if I'm still doing this when I'm 40 or, you know, it's, um, it's a thing to do for a while, I think, not for your whole life, unless you are so extraordinary at them that you can, first of all, I think, keep making more money because I don't, I don't like being somewhere where there's a, an income ceiling. Mm -hmm. I don't like being in, in anything where there's an income ceiling and there was, at least for me, in promos. Um, so there was a feeling of complacency of like, I should be writing something else. I should be you know, doing something else with my voice, but I don't know what, I didn't know what to do with it. And that was a constant struggle. Um, Cause I also felt like in promos, sometimes I would come up with something genius and sometimes I would not. And it was always expected and hoped for like lightning in a bottle. We need a breakout concept. And that's not my favorite form of thinking mm -hmm. and writing is, um, you know, high concept. I feel incredibly lucky when something comes to me, when mm -hmm. I think of, a, you know, something, especially something visual, because I don't think very visually. Mm -hmm. So it, it felt very hit or, I felt hit or miss. Um, and I like to feel more in control of my output of my, you know, what I'm, I feel like I like to feel excellent mm -hmm. at what I'm doing. So I was starting, I was getting antsy and feeling in a creative rut and complacent. And um, in 2010, my boss um, from my biggest client, where I had a six figure contract called me into her office. And um, you know, she, I was like, oh, is this about the Betty White project we're working on? I ha actually have some ideas finally to show you. And she's like, um, no, it's not about that. Close the door. And I knew that was not a good moment when she said, close the door. Unless I was like, is this a hush hush project she's going to give me? Um, but it was, yeah, top secret. It was not. She was, uh, yeah, had called me in to let me know that they didn't need to uh, renew my contract. It was up and they weren't going to renew it. And that was kind of, but she was like, well, of course, we'll have you on speed dial. We'll still hire you for things. But that was not the case. And so I was like, crap, now I have, you know, a six figure contract to make up um, in my income. That was my bread and butter. I had some other freelance projects, but luckily uh, I had already been taking some private clients in the entrepreneur space through Marie um, and people who became, who had become aware of, of me because I spoke for Marie at her event, uh, mm -hmm. her first live event. It was called Rich, Happy and Hot Live. And it was in the library in Soho House in New York City, like 50 people. Um, and I gave, she asked me to give a talk, Five Secrets to Non-Sucky Copy. And I gave that and people started coming up to me and saying, oh, can you help me with my copy? I'm a realtor. I need help with my website, et cetera. And I was like, yeah, I guess so. Um, and so I started working in that 
direction in that form. And so luckily I had an, an avenue there to get more clients and do something else. And so I put services up on my site and might have mentioned in an email to my very small list that I was, that I had services up on my site and people started hiring me for those. Yeah. And eventually I ended up segueing out of promos. I did a mix of the two things for a long time. Mm-hmm. Every time somebody said, what do you do? I'd be like, well, I have a copywriting company. It sort of has two arms. One arm is I write promos for TV. And then I'd explain what promos are. And then the other arm is I do private you know, client work for entrepreneurs, people who need help with their websites or their email copy or their marketing, et cetera. And so that was, that was how I described my work for a long time. How did it feel for you to have this kind of client now? Because you haven't done this particular kind of work before. You've been doing promos. You've been on TV. You've been doing something that is more entertaining. And now you have these clients. I wonder what it felt like to you. Did it feel like a springboard moment to do something uh, that you've never done before? Were you looking for other jobs in the meantime? Did it feel temporary? What was that like? Yeah, um, it it felt like a really good income stream uh, and Mm -hmm. with unlimited potential because there are so many people um, starting businesses or who had businesses and they all needed copy. And there were actually not a lot of copywriters out there, at least nobody with uh, kind of with my style who wrote with personality who could make things sound conversational. And so it felt um, it felt open and kind of boundless. It I did feel for a while like, well, TV is my cool work mm-hmm. and writing for entrepreneurs is kind of my secret, like, and it was a lot of coaches. So there's like kind of my goofy work. Mm-hmm. Um, not that I didn't take it seriously. And I did great work for these people. And then I also had a blog that Marie had encouraged me to put on my site mm-hmm. and it had nothing to do with anything. And I kind of refused. I knew that I was supposed to be writing about copywriting um, and that it was supposed to be something that would attract my ideal client and that would establish credibility and authority. And then they would want to work with me. But I just could not bring myself to do that kind of writing. I was like, I have a blog. I want it to be a blog. And Mm -hmm. I want to write my stories. I want to write about whatever. And rather than that backfiring, it actually started attracting more clients, people who said, who would say, I love your copy, referring to my blog posts. I want to work with you. So it, um, so I was expressing myself and writing in a way that I had always wanted to, and it was making me money in an indirect way. So that's, it was, it was good. And eventually I just got, I realized I was taking promo work because I was just taking every job that I could because I wanted to make every dime that I could. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was no longer serving me creatively. And it was giving me a bit of a headache. Like, oh, why did I take on this assignment? Now I have homework. Mm -hmm. Um, I now believe in a no homework life, a no homework business as much as possible. I hated having assignments hanging over my head and the pressure to come up with a great idea. So I let that go bit by bit and started saying no to assignments. And then I started saying no to private clients because I wanted to be known for my voice. I wanted to be writing in my voice for me um, and be known for who I was, not who I served. I didn't wanna be known as so-and-so's copywriter, anybody's anything. I wanted to be known as Laura fucking Belgray. Right, 
And I knew I could only do that by writing in my voice for me, using my copy for myself. Yeah. And so let me ask you something, because anybody who's listening right now, who's an entrepreneur, they're thinking of, if they're thinking of hiring a copywriter, there's kind of different kinds of copy that you as a copywriter can write. It's not like just yeah. because you're a copywriter, you have a general label and you're like, mm -hmm. I write and I can write like anything you want. There's all of these different reasons to write, right? Copy for websites, copy for videos, copy for emails, copy for launches, right? There's writing books. Yes. Right? So I would love to know. Um, oh, and I know you're working on a memoir. Yeah. How's it going? I've been wanting to ask you, how's it going? It's going great. Um, it's due summer 2021 and will come out summer 2022. And I've written a ton of it. I mean, right now I'm at the point of going through all this material that I've written and saying like, okay, how can this anecdote be shaped into a real chapter, a real essay or a real story mm -hmm. um, that has some meaning to it. And that's a little bit tricky because I love writing off the bat. I don't love the editing process. I, mm -hmm. I kind of suck at that. I'd rather like write fresh, which I might end up doing, but it's going well. And it's called Tough Titties. Nice. <laughs> oh, I love this so much. I've been wanting to ask you. Um, so going back to, sorry, that was a little, a tiny tangent for me because I <laughs> wanted to know this. Um, so thinking about all the different types of copy that there are that people yeah. ask you to do, I would love for you to kind of rank them in a, in a spectrum for me, in a continuum for me from one being, uh, you know, if I never have to write another word of that kind of writing, it would be too soon to... I love and I wish I were writing this kind of writing all day long. Like if, if you're yeah. thinking of all the different kinds, websites, video scripts, emails, launches, books. Sure. Okay. Well, first of all, I don't write any of this for private, for clients anymore. I just want to put that out there. Um, but I, I would say I made my name in websites and I enjoyed writing websites. I like that. People would ask me to write sales pages. I don't love a sales page. I kind of hate sales pages. I hate writing them. I rarely do I love reading them. Um, and they're just big and unwieldy. And ugh, uh, it's just like, oh, God, which comes first? And um, they just get so lengthy. I don't love that. So that's down the chain. I'm going out of order here. I started with something I like that went down to something I don't like. Um, I don't do ads really Facebook ads and because there are so many variables and so many moving parts and like you can't say this word and you have to write around this word and I don't really know my stuff with ads I don't feel super competent so don't love ads um, love writing Instagram posts and Facebook posts I love writing my own social content I love writing blog posts. I love writing emails. And I decided that I wanted to, I, I wanted to somehow make a living from just writing emails all day. Mm -hmm. And so that's how I reshaped my business so that I could do that and make a living from my own emails to my list. And that's what, that is the form that I love the most. You don't have to worry about um, frameworks, you know, like on the, on the page, what do you call it? Wireframes. That's mm -hmm. what, that's the word I was looking for. You don't have to worry about the order of things, except just the order of yours, the order of the story. It's an intimate format. It calls for a familiar tone. It's a one-to-one -one format. Um, originally, I mean, think about letter writing. That's mm -hmm. how it originated one person to one person. And I love that about it. It gives me a chance to write creatively and sell. Yeah. 
and I'm going to tell you, everybody has already noticed, even throughout this interview, um, that you you appear to be extremely confident in your skin. Hey, this is what I'm good at. This is what I like to do. This is what I don't like. And this is what I suck at. And it's just completely like a, a natural part of it, which is why I am actually really excited about this next part. I've never done this before, but I really want to try this with you because I think it awesome. would be really fun to do this with you. Are you ready for this? I think so. We'll find okay. out. You're going to help me create super clickbaity headlines for this episode. No, I'm not going to make you do work. This is going to be fun. I promise you. Uh, <laughs> we'll see. Okay. Based on the answers to these questions, I'm going to ask you, I have a few clickbaity questions. Mm -hmm. Okay. And you're just going to give me an answer. I'm not making you work. This is not copywriting. Okay. This okay. is where we're going to get like clickbait for this episode from because they're okay. clickbaity questions. Mm -hmm. okay? okay. All right. I'm going to start with clickbaity question number one. So you got into the online world because, you know, you got to know Marie Forleo being in the same hip hop dancing class in New York City. And I've heard this story a few times, so I'm not I'm not afraid to ask you this question, but it's it's a total winner for clickbait. What did you really think of Marie Forleo when you first met her? I couldn't stand Marie Forleo. I thought she was so annoying. Um, just I, I hated on her. I was a troll and she was in the front of the class looking gorgeous, flat abs, bouncy hair, didn't really even sweat, hit every move, nailed it always, hit, hit, cat, boom, cat, boom, cat. And um, she had a super great attitude and I just found her annoying. <laughs> I love this one so much. Um, Cause obviously you guys are really good friends yes. <laughs> and right. And she's just Annoyingly wonderful. And I, I wanted I wanted to <laughs> say that out loud. There's my clickbait for this episode. <laughs> Clickbaity question number two. Okay. What do you want to change in the new year around your business? Because it's just not working anymore. Hmm. I think I like everything in my business right now. Um, I would just like to multiply my income doing the same thing without doing any extra work. Love it. Next clickbaity question. Where does the name Talking Shrimp come from? Yeah, I wish that were a clickbaity sexy story. It actually comes from our tax accountant. Um, because he, when my husband and I got married in 2007, after like our next tax year, so we got reamed. And like Mark, who's our accountant, I was like, I, I thought we were going to do, I thought our taxes would be better when we got married. And he said, why would you ever think that? Of course, they're not. They're worse. Um, so what you should do is incorporate. The two of you should incorporate. So uh, pick a name. It doesn't matter what it is. Pick a name, preferably something with an available URL, and I will set it up. I will incorporate you. And believe it or not, nobody had scooped up TalkingShrimp.com. So that's how Talking Shrimp was born. Where did it come from? It was, okay, so my husband's in restaurants. I'm in writing. We wanted something that it could apply to both of us, either of us, or neither of us. And that could mean anything or nothing. And we also liked shrimp a lot and we're always traveling and going to Mediterranean towns and um, always accused of always posting pictures of seafood in beautiful Mediterranean towns. So maybe that was part of the inspiration. And yeah. this is one final question is from the audience. This is a question from Kylie Wolfig in Australia. Say hi, Kylie. Hi, Kylie. Uh, and her question is, 
how do you keep your emails so casual and personable, but still like she has never seen that kind of copy before? I write the way I talk. Um, I collect stories as I go along. You know, I'm always making notes in Evernote on my phone so that I, I think that my talent is, a, is in going small. So focusing on really small moments and small stories instead of waiting for big ones to happen. And I think that that is my secret sauce and then writing really frequently so that I have the luxury to do that. I don't have to tell you everything big that happened at once. I am able to go deep on really small things because I already wrote to you the other day and told you that other thing. So I don't have to, I don't have, I don't have to wait for inspiration. I like that. I never thought about it that way. So you're just sharing everything you need to share in the moment and there's nothing accumulating. There's no oh, yeah. fire hose that come in your way. Oh, yeah. I like that. So what do you think is a big misconception that people have of you as a successful online entrepreneur? Well, I think one big misconception is that I am or have been Marie Forleo's copywriter. And I always bristle when they call me that because, A, it does a disservice to Marie, who's an incredible copywriter herself. And I've learned a lot about copy from her. We partnered on the, um, well, on the copy cure for one, and then on uh, co-writing every episode, every scripted episode of Marie TV for several years, for years and years, for as long pretty much as it was scripted. Um, so when they say that I'm Marie's copywriter, that also gets on my nerves because, as I said before, I don't like being called anybody's anything, even though that one is a great honor, even if it's not true. Um, that's, that's what gets under my skin. I'm like, I'm me. I'm not Marie's ex or anybody's anything. I'm me. I know exactly what I'm going to call this episode. It's just Laura fucking Belgray. Awesome. That's what Please this do. episode is. I love it. So if you had the power to tell the whole world to do something, to improve their life, to make more money, to make something better, and they have to do it in the next 24 hours, what would be that thing that you're telling the whole world to do? Well, if, if I'm telling the whole world to, if we're talking about starting a business, because I think a business is the greatest teacher it is anybody who's for anybody who's stuck starting a business is really the greatest self-development tool um, that there is to to transform you and your life and all the crappy habits and stuckness that you're dealing with so i would say to do that and start by thinking what can i teach somebody like what can i teach people what do people want to know from me and um i would say create a lead magnet around that and start getting people to sign up for it opting in to an email list mm -hmm start building an email list and writing to them. And then you write to them. That's not all going to happen in 24 hours, but that's the first thing that you do is set up an email list, a landing page for your lead magnet, get an email list together. Um, the list is everything and it will, it will do all the business for you if you treat it right. And so I, for me, writing, writing to my shrimpers has been the best thing I've ever committed to. Mm -hmm business-wise. I would say business-wise because my husband is really the best thing I've ever committed to. Yeah. But, yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. And Laura Belgrave, where can people find you and follow you? 
people can come to talkingshrimp.com. Um, I have made it as much as possible into an opt-in honey trap so that you don't leave the site without signing up for my list in some way. You can look for my freebies or you can just sign up for my emails. And then I'm on Instagram as Talking Shrimp NYC. Not just talking shrimp, that's somebody else's account. Um, <laughs> bitch wouldn't wouldn't give it to me. She had like 29 followers and didn't post anything. She's like, no, I really like it. It's a character from something, something. What? So talking shrimp NYC, which is fine. We'll remember that. Thank, thank you, you, Laura. It's been a true pleasure. Thank you so much. Likewise. Thank you so much. Hey there, Ina here. After this episode, you may be wondering how you can also achieve the kind of success that our guest has experienced in their entire career. So hit follow and subscribe to catch me on Thursday for a brand new lesson on how to grow your coaching business, even if you have a small audience. And if you'd like to hear the full interview with all the details that only the super fans care about, get free access to all of our uncut interviews by going to theglobalphenomenon.com slash uncut. And I'll see you on the next one. Thank you for listening to The Global Phenomenon with Ina Coveney. Join the conversation inside the Facebook group at theglobalphenomenon.com slash Facebook. Listen to new interviews every Monday and learn with a companion episode every Thursday. This podcast was created by Ina Coveney, music by Jared LaBelle, and this was the voice of Kip Clark.